Well, good morning to you all. It's 9.30, so the, the people on YouTube are eager to get started. Uh, so that means those of you with me are going to, we're going to got to get started too. Uh, it's good to see you this morning. I'm glad you're here. Uh, you can see on the screen uh, today we're going to talk about the book of 2 Corinthians as we uh, do this survey of the life and writings of the Apostle Paul. Now, most of the time if you're having a class, uh, the, the appropriate amount of material to cover is maybe one chapter a week. Uh, some, some people may only do a few verses a week uh, and really dig into it. Uh, and that, that's not what we're going to do today. We are going to, to cover the entire book in the next 45 minutes. Uh, obviously, we're not going to cover everything. Uh, but I do think by looking at it uh, as a whole, all at once, uh, we're going to get a different kind of appreciation for the book of 2 Corinthians, uh, that when you're going through more slowly, uh, maybe you don't see these things. Uh, so I encourage you, if you see something here that you want to, to dig into more, uh, that's something that you can do. Uh, just to, to refresh where we are, Paul is in the city of Ephesus. Uh, we've been talking the last couple of weeks about this, uh, that in the city of Ephesus, he has written a letter to Corinth that we call First Corinthians, delivered by Timothy, uh, where he, he kind of goes through a list of some of the problems that he's heard about, that they've written to him about, uh, gives a biblical principle uh, and gives them a, a decision about how they should handle these things. Also in Ephesus, we read in the book of Acts about this riot uh, that Demetrius uh, makes these idols of the, the goddess Aphrodite, uh, and so he uh, stirs up his other silver craftsmen to, to start this riot uh, because their business is being uh, infringed upon by the spread of the gospel. Uh, so that's a big scene in the, the city of Ephesus. And we talked about uh, this near-death experience that Paul undergoes. Maybe it's that same event. Uh, if not, it's something that, that Luke didn't mention to us uh, that happened in, at this time. But Paul hints at it. Uh, we read uh, from 2 Corinthians, We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia, which is where Ephesus is. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. Uh, so something serious has happened to Paul uh, in the city of Ephesus. Uh, he, he mentions it in an, another place about uh, fighting wild beasts in Ephesus. And so we, we talked about maybe those were real wild beasts, but I, I actually think this is a, more of a metaphor for the, the human opposition that he was facing, whether that was from uh, the Jews or from uh, the pagans there. Uh, we don't know. Uh, but some people have speculated, and we talked about that, last week. So that's where we've been so far in Ephesus. Now, some, some new things happening. Uh, these are things not in the book of Acts, but we, can, we see these in Paul's own writings uh, that he mentions these uh, in various ways, especially in the book of 2 Corinthians. Uh, so at some point during this couple years that he spends in Ephesus, he makes a visit to Corinth. Uh, if you look at your, your maps of the journeys of Paul. This does not make it onto those maps because it's not something that mentioned, is mentioned by Luke. Uh, but he, he talks about it in 2 Corinthians 
uh, that first he had, he had these plans. He says, I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and then to have you send me on my way to Judea. Uh, so his plan was from Ephesus, go to Corinth, then travel north up to, to northern Greece, Macedonia, back to Corinth a second time on his way to Jerusalem. Uh, but he makes that first visit and something goes terribly wrong. Uh, he has uh, a bad experience so much that he, he changes plans. I mentioned this later in verse 23. I call God as my witness and stake my life on it that it was in order to spare you that I didn't return to Corinth. I made up my mind that I would not make another painful visit to you. So whatever happened on this visit was so serious that Paul decides he is not going to go back there like he had said. Uh, he maybe goes Macedonia and by land back to Ephesus, maybe sails straight back to Ephesus. Uh, but something bad has happened on this visit to Corinth. Uh, as a response, or as a result of this uh, visit, Paul writes a letter. Uh, he calls it a tearful letter to the city of Corinth, and he sends it with Titus. Uh, he mentions this, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, I-, I wrote as I did so that when I came, I wouldn't be distressed by those you, who should have made me rejoice. I had confidence in all of you that you would all share my joy. For I wrote you out of great distress and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to grieve you, but to let you know the depth of my love for you. So this is a, a hard love letter. Uh, he's writing because he loves them, uh, but it, it is a, a serious letter that he's writing to them. Uh, which letter is this? Well, we know 1 Corinthians, delivered by Timothy, uh, was before any visit. Uh, so this is not 1 Corinthians. It's not 2 Corinthians because he's mentioning it here in the book of 2 Corinthians. Uh, so this is you know, one and a half Corinthians. Uh, we, we don't have this letter. Uh, this is a letter that has been lost uh, some doofus in Corinth decided he did, wasn't going to keep this one. Uh, he, Paul probably explained all the, the things that he didn't explain in, in 1 Corinthians about uh, head coverings because of the angels and baptism for the dead. I imagine it was all in this letter where he cleared that stuff up uh, but was not saved for our benefit. Uh, so whatever he wrote here, uh, we only have a record of it from 2 Corinthians that he wrote this tearful letter uh, out of love, hoping to bring some sort of change to the situation in Corinth. Uh, so he sends this letter with Titus, but he is, he's anxious uh, to hear what their response is going to be. He knows this is going to be something that's going to be hard for them to hear, uh, and it's a little bit unpredictable what, how they're going to respond to this. Are they going to be more upset with him? Is this going to further divide him from the church in Corinth? Or does this show uh, his love that they are, and they're going to respond positively to this letter. He's evidently uh, concerned, worried about how this is going to go over. Uh, so he, he gets to a point where he, he just can't wait anymore for Titus to come back to Ephesus and tell him how it went. Uh, that he starts traveling himself uh, to, to hopes to, to encounter Titus uh, and find out what's been happening in Corinth. Uh, so we see this in chapter 2 of 2 Corinthians. I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened a door for me. 
but I still had no peace of mind because I didn't find my brother Titus there. So I said goodbye to them and went on to Macedonia, still looking for Titus. Uh, maybe at this point, it's helpful to look at a map. Uh, so this is a map of Paul's third journey, his, what I call his fundraising journey. Uh, and we're going to focus on the, the top left corner, uh, the you know, northwest part of the map. So Paul is in Asia, the, the pinkish province, western Turkey today. Uh, Ephesus is on the coast there. Uh, now, th- this journey to Troas and Macedonia, this is back on the, the third journey. So he is now uh, making the, the, the path that Luke records in the book of Acts. Now, probably Titus, the, the easiest way to get from Ephesus in Asia over to Corinth, which is southern Greece, the, the green part that's called Achaia, would be by ship. You could just sail across the Aegean Sea. That'd be the fastest way to get from place to place. So I, I, I bet Titus sailed over to Corinth. But uh, at some point in the winter, the Aegean Sea becomes uh, too dangerous to sail, and they shut down the, the, the sea travel. So I imagine Paul had been waiting in Ephesus until winter. At that point, he knows Titus is not going to sail back to Ephesus, he's going to have to make the land journey, uh, making that northern loop through Macedonia uh, and down uh, through Asia along the coast. So he knows he's not going to miss Titus sailing back to Ephesus. He can start traveling. Uh, So Paul starts traveling north from Ephesus up to Troas, still doesn't run into Titus. Uh, And so from from Troas, he can sail that little bit. It's still an easier crossing up to to Neapolis and Philippi, looking for Titus. Well, finally, in Macedonia, somewhere, I don't know if it's Philippi or Thessalonica or Berea, Paul finds Titus, and he's relieved because Titus has good news that the the letter went over well. Uh, It didn't make things worse. It actually made things better, which was what Paul had hoped would happen. Uh, and so that uh, inspires Paul. Uh, let me mention this. Uh, we came to Macedonia. We had no rest, but we were harassed at every turn. Conflicts on the outside, fears within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, not only by his coming, but also by the comfort you had given him. He told us about your longing for me, your deep sorrow, your ardent concern for me, so that my joy was greater than ever. Uh, so he got... Uh, despite all these troubles uh, that were happening in Macedonia, he does, does get this, this bit of good news. Uh, he, ru- he finds Titus, and Titus has good news about the response. Well, at this point, Paul, feeling a little bit better, uh, sends Titus back to Corinth, along with two other brothers, uh, with another letter. Uh, this time, this is the letter of 2 Corinthians. Uh, he's, still, he's hoping to get them ready for this collection. Uh, so he's going to bring that up in this letter to remind them he's, he is almost there. He's in Macedonia. He is going to be in Corinth soon. And the Macedonian churches have really responded to this appeal for a collection. Uh, and so he's counting on the church in Corinth to match what the, the churches in Macedonia are doing. Uh, so he gives this kind of last reminder of this upcoming collection for Jerusalem. Uh, so he writes this, this is 2 Corinthians chapter 8, 
Uh, Titus not only welcomed our appeal, but he's coming to you with much enthusiasm and on his own initiative. And we're sending along with him the brother who is praised by all the churches for his service to the gospel, which we don't know who that is. We can speculate maybe. In addition, uh, we're sending with them our brother who has often proved to us in many ways that he's zealous and now even more so because of his great confidence in you. Uh, So these three men uh, go back to Corinth uh, right before Paul is going to go there himself. Uh, And uh, obviously, the Corinthians know who these people are because they're going to be showing up there with this letter, uh, and they can introduce themselves. Paul doesn't have to to give their names, uh, but it would have been nice for us if he had. Uh, So that's kind of the, the setup for the book of 2 Corinthians, this painful visit uh, this letter that Paul writes to try to uh, set things right, uh, this worried waiting for Titus, and finally uh, finding Titus with good news. I think it's interesting to, for me to compare 1 Corinthians with 2 Corinthians. They're very different letters. Uh, and since we just finished 1 Corinthians, I think it's uh, something we can look at. Uh, when you read 1 Corinthians, Paul, he's very confident about his authority. Uh, that they have problems, and he has answers. Uh, and he, he doesn't anticipate any issues with them uh, following his authority. Uh, that's assumed. Uh, so he seems very confident in the book of 1 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians, there's more of a feel that he, he needs to prove himself, that people there don't just accept his authority anymore. Uh, and so he uh, gets into this section about his, his boasting, um, and talking about his, his qualifications, his credentials, uh, a, a very different tone than in 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians, he's, he's decisive, that they, they have a problem, and he, he just gives them uh, the answer. Uh, he, he shows them from Scripture, shows them from the story of, of the gospel uh, how this is clear, and gives them a verdict. Uh, 2 Corinthians, he is more defensive, I feel like, um, that he has been shaken a little bit by this confrontation that happened on this visit. And in 1 Corinthians, you know, I, I cover this as a checklist almost, uh, that he's just going through problem by problem. Uh, he says, you know, now the problems you wrote about, uh, and now this problem. Uh, and he just, he just moves through them topic by topic. It's very cleanly organized. Uh, 2 Corinthians, it's less focused. Um, I, you know, maybe the positive way, it's flowing from, from topic to topic. Uh, but he sometimes kind of backtracks over himself. Uh, the, the writing is just not as clear as in 1 Corinthians. You can tell uh, that this came from more an anxious, uh, worried time in his life, I think. If I were to, to outline it, uh, kind of to, to highlight uh, some of the things here, uh, he, he starts off with the introduction in this timeline where he's, he's narrating what we just saw, uh, his visit to Corinth, uh, his letter to Corinth, uh, how he was waiting for Titus. Uh, and that, that's how he starts off, but he, he cuts off in the middle of telling his story uh, about how he's waiting for Titus, and he gets into truly the, the meat of the, the letter over the next four chapters. It's not until, until chapter 7 uh, that he picks back up on the story and says, well, I got to Macedonia and found Titus, and I had good news. Uh, that some people think, and I, I, I kind of have some, some sympathies to this idea, 
uh, that, that Paul has written this over an extended period, uh, and that these first six chapters are from this time of waiting for Titus to come back. And he hasn't finished his letter. Uh, and then when he does meet Titus, uh, he, he starts writing again. Uh, but at this point, he, he's feeling a little bit more, more comfortable, a little bit more confident. Uh, and he, he can start uh, talking about this contribution that he's been uh, thinking about for so long. Uh, and, you know, you can start to, to tell by chapter 10, he, he's really starting to, to feel more comfortable again. He's almost feisty and, and playful in how he's uh, boasting about his own credential. He, he admits he's not really serious about it. Uh, but from these first chapters, three to six, where he's, uh, he, he sounds, I think, much less confident. He, he kind of builds up uh, in this second section that perhaps uh, it's coming after the news of their uh, positive response to uh, the visit of Titus. Uh, so I, I think there's maybe something there, uh, but it's a little bit speculative, I admit. He concludes in chapter 13. We, we will maybe spend some time speculating uh, on some fun things to speculate. I got a couple things. Uh, so first, what happened on this painful visit? He, he alludes to it, doesn't tell us much about it. Uh, second thing we can speculate about are these super apostles. It's not my word, it's Paul's word, or at least that's how the NIV translate it, translates it. Uh, these super apostles that think they're better than Paul. Uh, and he has a lot to say about, say to them. And, and finally, uh, Paul's thorn in the flesh. I think you maybe have, have been familiar with this before, that uh, to keep Paul from being uh, puffed up and conceited, uh, he has been given a thorn in the flesh. And we can maybe make some guesses about what that was. Uh, so first, uh, this painful visit. Uh, we, we, we get some hints here, maybe, in 2 Corinthians 2, uh, 5 through 8. Uh, if anyone has caused grief, he's not so much grieved me as he has grieved all of you to some extent, not to put it too severely. The punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient. Now instead, you ought to forgive and comfort him so that he won't be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. I urge you, therefore, to reaffirm your love for him. Okay? So, it seems like there's some individual here who uh, is at least partially to blame for the problems that have happened. Uh, and Paul says, now uh, it's time to forgive him. Uh, so who, who is this person uh, and what, what was the situation that, that needs forgiven? Well, uh, some, some ideas have been thrown out there. Uh, maybe, you know, if you remember from 1 Corinthians, there's this guy uh, the guy living with his stepmother, uh, Paul says, you can't have that in the church. Someone who is uh, flaunting uh, their, uh, their challenging uh, how God expects Christians to live. Uh, you, you can't put up with that in the church. Uh, so maybe on this visit, Paul has to talk to that guy. Uh, and maybe there's a scene. The guy says, no, I'm not going to go. Uh, you can't kick me out. Uh, so maybe there's some sort of, that's the confrontation. Uh, and now, by the time of 2 Corinthians, uh, things have been smoothed over, and the guy has, has admitted he was wrong, and we're able to, to forgive him. Uh, people, you know, since a lot of this is about the, the collection, uh, you know, there's always issues with money, or there can always be issues with money. Uh, 
uh, where there are financial irregularities, that someone was supposed to be collecting the money, uh, and you know, where, is it all here? Is it all accounted for? I, I think some money's missing. Uh, so some sort of uh, problem there. Uh, was there a challenge to Paul's authority? Uh, I, don't, I don't know if you've ever been to a church, uh, been a part of it for a long time, uh, and then left for you know, years or so. You come back, and you find out that the people have moved on. There's new people uh, who are the, the respected people in the church, uh, and they, they've managed to live without you. Uh, maybe there's a, a bit of that, uh, and they, they say, well, I mean, who are you, Paul, to, to be coming here anyway? We, we're the ones who are uh, leading this church, and we haven't seen you for years. Um, what makes you think that you can show up here and tell us what to do? Uh, so maybe that we get into that with the, the super apostles, perhaps, uh, some sort of leadership challenge. Or, or maybe back to the collection, maybe people just challenge the idea of, you know, why are we sending all this money to Jerusalem anyway? Uh, we've, we've got needs here in Corinth. There's uh, things we can do with the money here. Uh, we don't have to be sending all this money over to Jerusalem. Can't, can't the churches there uh, raise money for their own needs? Uh, so that perhaps that, you know, Paul's the one pushing this collection. Uh, maybe some people there uh, don't share his uh, enthusiasm for this project. Uh, so who knows? Uh, some, some ideas to speculate about. Our second thing, these super apostles. Let's read uh, later in the book now, in chapter 11. Paul writes, I don't think I'm in the least inferior to these super apostles. Uh, when you call somebody a super apostle, or at least when you translate it that way, uh, it does give a hint that maybe you are making fun of them, uh, that you don't really think they are that super uh, as they think they are. He says, I may be un indeed untrained as a speaker, but I do have knowledge. We've made this perfectly clear to you in every way. Was it a sin for me to lower myself in order to elevate you by preaching the gospel of God to you free of charge? I robbed other churches by receiving support from them so as to serve you. Uh, so we get some hints here about what the problem is. Uh, but who are these super apostles? Well, it does seem uh, that they're Jewish Christians uh, because uh, a little bit later in the chapter, Paul's going to bring up his credentials in comparison to theirs. And he says, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they sons of Abraham? So am I. So that, that tells you right there that these are Jewish Christians uh, who uh, he is calling super apostles. Uh, but perhaps they're, they're not really pushing Judaism. You know, that, that's been the, the rift in the church throughout the first century is uh, between Jewish and Gentile Christians. And, and a lot of the Jewish Christians uh, thinking the Gentiles need to, to adopt more elements of Judaism. Uh, but it doesn't seem like those arguments come up here, uh, like they did in Galatians, for example, uh, like they're going to come up in, in, in Philippians. Uh, so maybe they're not really pushing this Judaism aspect of it, uh, because that's not how Paul responds to them. Uh, he's more addressing this uh, absorption with status and appearance, uh, that they think they are so great, uh, and they think Paul is not that much, uh, and he's trying to, to correct that attitude. Uh, so we, we see, what, what are they, 
criticizing Paul about? What are their complaints about Paul? Read between the lines here a little bit. You know, the first thing is Paul is always changing his plans. Uh, and so we, we read this before. Uh, he had this plan to visit twice. Uh, and because the, the first visit didn't go well, he did not come back. Uh, but he says, was I fickle when I intended to do this? Or do I make my plans in a worldly manner? So in the same breath, I say both yes, yes, and no, no. Uh, we read before, he said, you know, it, was, it was for your own benefit that I didn't come back. You, you would not have wanted me to make a second visit. I was trying to spare you. Uh, so I don't want to hear the, the criticism that I'm always changing my plans uh, and not doing what I'm going to say I'm going to do. Uh, so that's one thing that he seems to be responding to. Uh, maybe this, this charge that, you know, who's Paul? He, he comes here and acts like uh, he's in charge. Uh, we, we see this a little bit in chapter 3. Uh, you know, in the, the, the New Testament times, uh, if you want to travel from church to church, uh, you're, you're, you don't get a whole lot of people moving around. Uh, and you, you want to know, who is this guy who's showing up at our church? Uh, well, they would often have a letter of recommendation uh, so that it says, you know, this guy, he's, he worships with us here in Antioch, and I can tell you he's, he's trustworthy. Uh, and so you say, well, I know the guy who wrote the letter, so I can believe that this guy is trustworthy. Uh, actually, if you, if you read the book of Third John, Third John is, is a letter of recommendation from John to this guy named Gaius uh, about Demetrius, not, not the Demetrius in Ephesus, uh, saying he is a trustworthy person. That, that's basically the, the main point of 3 John, is to introduce Demetrius to the church wherever he's going. Uh, and so, uh, Paul alludes to this. Uh, I don't know if somebody has actually, when he showed up, said, well, do you have a letter of recommendation? Or if that's just how it felt to him, uh, when he comes back to Corinth and they're acting like uh, they don't know him. He says, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? Uh, he says, that way, that's silly. I'm the one who was the one who brought the gospel here to Corinth. Uh, so he says, you yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you're a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Uh, so he says, if someone wants to, to know who I am here, all they have to do is look at you guys and say, I'm the reason that you're here. Uh, I'm the one who, who brought the gospel to this place. Uh, you are my, my proof of who I am. Uh, you don't have, need some sort of letter uh, to prove it. Uh, so that's maybe uh, part of what, what's going on in the background here. Uh, it does seem that Paul's a little bit defensive uh, about these super apostles that uh, they say he's not a very good speaker. Uh, so uh, he, he mentions this in chapter 10. Some people say his letters are weight, weighty and forceful, but in person he's unimpressive and his speaking amounts to nothing. Well, such people should realize that what we are in our letters when we're absent we will be in our actions when we're present. Uh, and in the next chapter as well, now I may indeed be untrained as a speaker, but I do have knowledge. We've made this perfectly clear to you in every way. Uh, so these super apostles are, are 
proud of, of how uh, they can communicate, uh, of their speaking abilities. And they say, well, you know, Paul is not that great of a speaker. Uh, and so he's addressing that. Last one, uh, Paul isn't a paid professional. Uh, we'd say Paul is an amateur. Uh, I, don't, I don't think he even went to, to Bible college. You know, he has a degree in uh, you know, social sciences or something. Um, and here we are. We are the ones with the, the Bible training, uh, and we're getting paid for our ministry. Paul is a tent maker who thinks he's a preacher. And remember, this is where he had been uh, engaging in tent making was in Corinth. Uh, he, he makes it clear uh, he was not getting paid, not because he didn't deserve it. He was once again doing this for, for the benefit of the church in Corinth. Uh, we read a little bit of this in chapter 11. Was it a sin for me to lower myself in order to elevate you by preaching the gospel of God to you free of charge? I robbed other churches by receiving support from them so as to serve you. When I was with you and needed something, I wasn't a burden to anyone, for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied what I needed. I've kept myself from being a burden to you in any way and will continue to do so. And so here, here he's addressing this idea that uh, this, the sign of a respectable Bible teacher is that they're getting paid for it. Uh, and he's making it clear he could have gotten paid for it, uh, but he did that. He chose not to do that so as he wasn't, wouldn't be a burden to the church in Corinth. And he, he was able to, to get his funds from Macedonia, from working uh, in other ways. Uh, it wasn't because he wasn't good enough uh, to get paid. Okay? All right, we've got one more thing we can have fun speculating about. Uh, the thorn in the flesh. Uh, well, let's, let's read in chapter 12. Uh, Therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in, the, in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. So what is this thorn in his flesh? Uh, some sort of physical ailment uh, that is a torment to him. Well, we've, we've got some speculation about this. Uh, so, some ideas here. We'll, we'll go through these. Uh, the first one, poor eyesight. Now, we, we get maybe hints of this. We, we already covered Galatians. Uh, he tells the, the Galatian churches, as you know, it was because of an illness or some sort of bodily ailment that I first preached the gospel to you. And even though my illness was a trial to you, you didn't treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. Where then is your blessing of me now? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Well, why would he need their eyes? That's because he's got poor vision. Uh, and so this, this illness that brought him to, to Galatia was his difficulty in seeing. Maybe, you know, this lingering effects from the Damascus Road uh, has uh, limited his eyesight. Uh, later on in Galatians 6, we have this part where uh, apparently someone else has been writing the letter, uh, and then he takes over uh, and says, you know, see what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Uh, so we, we don't get this in our Bibles where everything is printed. 
Uh, but you can imagine on the original letter uh, that all of a sudden now we get this large print, the, the original large print Bible as Paul starts writing in big letters uh, because he can't see the page, I guess, uh, is the idea. Uh, but I actually think this is probably just because he's not a professional writer, uh, that scribes are the professional writers, uh, and people who don't write all the time uh, don't make these perfectly sized letters. Uh, so I, I don't think uh, this tells us anything about his eyesight. It just tells you that he's not a scribe. Uh, so eyesight. Uh, so if you say maybe a speech impediment. Uh, so we, we talked about he's not a good speaker. He admits that. Uh, but maybe it goes beyond just his his confidence uh, speaking to people, but also maybe it's a physical difficulty with, with speaking, uh, some sort of lisp or a, a stutter, uh, some sort of problem with his speech uh, that makes it, when he, when he talks, uh, people uh, don't take him as seriously as when he is writing letters. Uh, epilepsy. Uh, you know, I was reading the, the Journal of Neurology, I assume you guys do this too, and I just found this on Google, so don't. Uh, this guy writes this article, neurological disease is recorded in the Bible. Uh, examples are grand mal seizures, aphasia, concussion, uh, subarachnoid hemorrhage, paraplegia, poliomyelitis, cerebral palsy, hysterical paralysis. Uh, that one actually, he, he's uh, Paul on the road to Damascus, he says, is maybe hysterical paralysis. Uh, the terrifying aspects of these psychoses and of epilepsy were interpreted as manifestations of demoniacal possession. St. Paul, Paul of Tarsus, in a letter to the church of Corinth, describes an ecstatic personal experience in which he felt caught up, in, up to paradise and mentions other visions. In relation to these, he writes of a thorn in the flesh, a metaphor for an unpleasant infirmity which periodically racked him. It's postulated that Paul was subject to episodes of temporal lobe epilepsy. I have no idea. I'll leave that for the doctors in the room. Uh, or complex partial seizures, some of which progressed to generalized convulsions. Now, what he's really saying here is these visions are also not really visions. Uh, this is all part of this medical problem that he has, this epilepsy. Uh, so where he, gets the, he sees these visions as part of his seizure, uh, and also the, the lingering uh, effects of it are the thorn in the flesh. So I'm not sure about that. I, I generally read manifestations of de demoniacal possession as manifestations of demoniacal possession. Uh, I, I tend to take that seriously when that's what the Bible says. Uh, so I, I don't really agree with this, uh, but yeah, got, got it into a journal. Uh, what about... Brucellosis. We have to look that one up. Uh, this is a disease you get from eating uh, un undercooked meat or unpasteurized milk. Um, so not, not too common today, uh, but maybe that was what it was. I don't know if this would be something that would continue to torment someone uh, over an extended period of time. Uh, same thing with malaria. Uh, it's not, not always an ongoing difficulty, but it could have been whatever situation brought him originally to Galatia. He mentioned, you know, it was because of, a, of an illness that I came to you. you know, maybe he got one of these uh, diseases and went to, to Galatia to recuperate. Uh, neurasthenia, is, you know, I don't know if people even diagnose it that way anymore. It's uh, some sort of nervous problem that maybe we'd, we'd count as uh, a mental disorder today. 
You know what I think this is? I read this. I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan. Uh, what's to say this isn't just a messenger from Satan? Uh, you, you notice the, the guy in the, the Journal of Neurology, he says, you know, these, these aren't really, you know, demon attacks when people are demon-possessed. It's just they're having epileptic seizures. Uh, we can find a medical explanation for this without going into the supernatural. Uh, when, when the Bible, I think, plainly acknowledges that there is a supernatural world uh, that has influence on us today uh, and that you know, these aren't, aren't just seizures, that there is demonic power. Uh, so if we, we accept it for those things, can we accept that not, a, not demon possession but some sort of supernatural attack on Paul? That's what he calls it, a messenger of Satan. Uh, so I, I tend to, to take him at his word. Uh, and I don't need to find some sort of uh, physical, uh, medical diagnosis for this. Um, but you know, you see, there's quite a variety of things that people have guessed. Well, we've got about eight minutes, uh, and we are not making very good ground into 2 Corinthians. But if I can maybe summarize one of the, the, the big parts here uh, is that over and over, we see a contrast between human weakness and God's sufficiency. Over, if, you, if you were to sit down and read straight through 2 Corinthians, this is maybe what stands out to me the most. Over and over again, this, these two sides, really the you know, two sides of the same coin, uh, because human weakness is, is what shows God's power. Uh, it shows that God is enough. So maybe we could just, you know, jump through a few of these uh, to highlight that message. Uh, we, we talked about this, this near-death experience in Ephesus. Uh, he says, you know, we thought we received the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Uh, this, this experience where he is at the point of death teaches him to rely on God and that even if I die, God will raise me from the dead. Uh, he's delivered us from such a deadly peril, he will deliver us again. Uh, so this, this crisis in his life just points to him, to him that, that God is going to take care of him. Uh, next chapter, uh, he uses the image of being a, uh, a captured in battle, uh, that you are part of this slave procession, procession uh, from the, the victorious army. Uh, but even though you're you know, being dragged along as a slave, it's Christ's triumphal procession. Thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one we are an aroma that brings death to the other, an aroma that brings life. And who is equal to such a task? So the, the, the contrast here, that it seems to some people like this is death. Uh, he says, no, this is a, an aroma of being saved. Next chapter, we, we, like I said, we just go through every chapter here. Chapter 3, such confidence we have through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. 
That's again, it's not human power and sufficiency. It's God providing. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Next chapter. Uh, this one's familiar to us. The, we're treasures in jars of clay. You've, you've heard the lessons on this, that, that these earthen jars aren't uh, anything special uh, on themselves. So the, the human that is carrying uh, God's power inside is not special uh, in itself, but it's what is inside that makes it valuable. Uh, and then these contrasts again, that we're hard-pressed but not crushed, perplexed, not in despair, persecuted, not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. Uh, we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. Once again, this contrast of death and life in the same thing. And we'll keep going. Chapter 5, uh, here, here the contrast is this temporary uh, earthly body, uh, which he calls a tent, compared to an eternal home that, that's being prepared in heaven uh, and not built by human hands. Uh, so this, this fragile uh, current state is like a tent, uh, but we have this uh, permanent uh, dwelling that is to come. Chapter 6, uh, here we have this, this series of uh, hardships that he's un- undergoing, uh, but you get to it uh, where he, he gets into contrast again. Uh, regarded as unknown dying, yet we live on. Beaten, not killed. Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Poor, yet making many rich. Having nothing, and yet possessing everything. He says, you know, even though we are poor, it seems like we have nothing. Uh, this human weakness again. Uh, we are making people rich in uh, sharing the gospel with them. And if we have that, then we have everything. Uh, even, you know, we get to this thorn in the flesh. And what's the, the point of this thorn in the flesh? Uh, he says, I'll boast the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That's why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, persecutions, and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And I, I think you get the point. Uh, over and over, in almost every chapter of this book, he's, he's making some sort of comparison uh, between the, the weakness, uh, the frailty of his life right now, uh, but the power of God that that, that allows to shine through. Uh, that in his, it's actually in his weakness that the power of God is made most clear. Uh, and that's maybe his response to these super apostles well, who think uh, they are all put together. Uh, uh, the, the, the contrast is, if you think that it's your own sufficiency and power, you're not going to let the power of Christ come through. Uh, and so when he boasts, he boasts about all the ways that he has suffered, all of the, the problems he has faced, because he sees that that is what uh, shows who God is. All right. Well, like I said, we, we, we're not going to cover everything in Second Corinthians, 
Uh, I encourage you to, to keep reading it, uh, but if we, if we dig in too long, we're gonna, this is going to be a multi-year series if I try to cover every letter of Paul in appropriate detail. Uh, anyway, uh, next week we're going to move on. Uh, Paul's going to keep traveling from Macedonia, where he wrote 2 Corinthians, on to Corinth. And in Corinth, he's going to write another letter. Uh, it's going to be an introduction uh, of himself to the church in Rome. This is the letter to the Romans. And once again, we're going to try to get that in a single week. Uh, so we're going to be moving really fast next week. Let's close this morning with a prayer from the book of 2 Corinthians. Uh, a short prayer. Uh, not often do we have uh, Trinitarian language in the Bible. We don't have the word Trinitarian. Uh, but we do have a couple places in the, the uh, Jesus' command of baptism. And here... Uh, in this prayer of Paul. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. I hope to see you next week as we, we get into the book of Romans. Thank you for your attention.